You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you are encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. Right, we're going to look at Revelation 12 to 14. So, part one, we'll be looking at the, the vision, the woman with the dragon. Part two, we'll look at the, the two beasts. Part three, the mark and the image of the beast. I was trying to keep this short as, as, as possible. It's such a huge part of Revelation. Part four, three angels and the harvest of the earth. So we've got quite a few symbols when we get to this part of Revelation. Okay, so the woman and the male child represents Israel and Jesus. The dragon is identified as Satan. The first beast, the Antichrist. The second beast, the false prophet. Now the ten horns and the ten crowns, a ten king coalition government, and Harlot Babylon, a one world religious and economic system. Okay, right, so we're going to part one. I'm going to read, sorry, I'm going to read Revelation 12. Okay, Revelation 12, I'm reading from the NIV, the woman and the dragon. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out, in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon <clears throat> with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
the woman was given the two wings of a grey eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she will be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so we've got a vision here. This is after the seventh trumpet. We finished last week at the seventh trumpet. So, part one. After the seventh trumpet is sounded, John is shown another vision with a woman, a child and a dragon. Now, it shows us that the woman is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and she's wearing a crown of 12 stars. This is similar to Joseph's dream in Genesis 37, the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. So the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman represents Israel as she gives birth to a male child, Jesus. And that genealogy of Jesus is in Matthew 1. Okay, the crown on the woman's head could be symbolic of Christ's future kingdom centred in Israel. So the child is caught up to the throne, which represents the ascension of Christ. That's in Matthew 17. The child, Jesus, who will rule over all the nations with an iron scepter, which we read in verse 5. It's also mentioned, the iron scepter, in Revelation 2 as well. So the dragon, an enormous red dragon with ten horns, ten crowns on each of the horns and seven heads. So the dragon sweeps away one third of the stars with its tail. In verse 9 that we've just read, the dragon is clearly identified as Satan. Satan, initially an angel, Lucifer, cherubim, was a high-ranking angel, became proud of his beauty and his position. He wanted to be like the Most High God. And he wanted to be worshipped like God. And we can read that in Ezekiel 24. And that led to his downfall. So Satan filled with immense pride. Led a rebellion against God. He didn't get the top job. His job application was refused. So now he's filled with fury. So one third of the stars represent fallen angels. Fallen from heaven. That followed Satan. That's mentioned in Isaiah 14. So the dragon stands in front of the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour the child, it tells us. That represents Herod's failed attempt to kill Jesus. He ordered the deaths of all males under two years. That was in Matthew 2. The ten horns and seven heads we're going to look at in the next part in more detail. Okay, the dragon pursuing the woman. Satan spews water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman is unsuccessful. That's just figurative speech. Try, I think trying to indicate full force, a torrent, to sweep the woman away. That speech was also used, that terminology in Isaiah, when the enemy comes in like a flood. The spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. This is in Isaiah 59. It also says the woman is given two wings of a great eagle. Again, that's just figurative speech. To a place prepared for her, which indicates swift escape or flight. That terminology was also used in Exodus 
you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you out on eagles' wings. So the woman is protected for a time, a times and half a time. That tells us in verse 14. For protection, she goes into the desert for 1,260 days. That's that three and a half years, which is part of that seven-year tribulation period. Okay, the woman's offspring. So Satan's filled with great rage, so he goes to make war against the rest of the woman's offspring. This is the saints, the church, because in verse 17, it's, it defines who keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. So war breaks out in heaven. So John sees Satan going to war against Michael and his angels. So this is a spiritual battle between good and evil. This is in the heavenlies. And a loud voice war is announced in heaven. Michael is an archangel, protector of Israel, is a warrior and the highest ranking angel. It tells us that in Daniel, Jude and Revelation is referred to of the great prince who protects your people. That's in Daniel 12. So Satan loses the war against Michael and his angels. We read in Daniel 10 as well where Satan opposes Michael. Now Satan's referred to here as the accuser of the brothers and the sisters, depending on what version you're reading from. I think some versions have the brethren. So he appears before God to accuse. We see that in Job and also with Joshua the high priest in Zechariah 3. Now, as believers, we also have the spiritual authority to overcome the enemy in his accusations. By the blood of the Lamb, the redemptive work at the cross, it overcomes Satan along with our testimony. We're given that authority. It says they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death, meaning ready to obey Christ regardless of the cost. After Satan loses the war, he is cast out of heaven and hurled down to earth. So heaven rejoices because Satan is cast down. But there's a warning here to those on earth. It's filled with great fury. So the war then shifts from heaven to earth. <laughs> Satan can't be worshipped as God in heaven. So he focuses attention on being worshipped on earth. He knows, and it tells us in Revelation 12, he knows his time is short. So he only has a brief time to accomplish being worshipped as God before Christ returns. Part 2, Revelation 13, the two beasts. Right, I'm going to read Revelation 13 and I'm just going to read to, from verse 1 to 10 just now. Right, so Revelation 13. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, the beast out of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling 
place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority to over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So, we see Satan standing by the seashore. In this chapter, two beasts described in great detail emerged. The first is the Antichrist, the second is the false prophet. Both are empowered by Satan himself. When studied along with the book of Daniel, the Antichrist's rise to power comes initially through a ten-king or a ten-nation coalition. Right, verse 1, I saw a beast Coming up out of the sea, it had ten horns and seven heads. There was a crown on each of its horns. It had an evil name written on each head. It doesn't actually say what the names were. It just says an evil name written on each head. That's in verse 1. So the first beast out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads and ten crowns. So this beast emerged. This is also similar to the fourth beast described in Daniel 7. Throughout scripture, horns represent power and authority. In Daniel, it says, Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge teeth, it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Okay, and there's just a wee sketch of the four beasts there. Now, Daniel at the time was in Babylon. It was in exile. So the first beast there represents the first kingdom. The second beast, then the third beast. Okay, and I think you can probably see there the years. The Babylonian Empire, the Mede-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. But the fourth beast representing a future and final empire, a ten-nation coalition. Okay, the ten horns that Daniel saw represented ten kings, presidents or leaders. The ten horns that John saw over 600 years later represents ten kings with ten crowns. Also in Revelation 17 that we'll be looking at next week mentions again that the ten horns are ten kings, ten crowns. So back to Daniel 7, it tells us the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them, the Antichrist. He shall be different from the first one, the ten kings, and shall subdue three kings. Okay, Daniel doesn't go into much detail about the first three kingdom. He's more focused on the fourth kingdom. And he was greatly troubled. He became ill from what he saw. Four times in Daniel, it's mentioned, it was different. This fourth kingdom, it was different. Daniel described this as dreadful, terrible, strong, devouring and trampling. This is the Antichrist kingdom. It will be a tyrannical, ruthless leader showing no mercy. 
So the beast wears a crown on each of the ten horns, which represents the kings or leaders over a specific kingdom or region. So we've got Daniel's vision and we've got John's vision. So Daniel's fourth vision is the same as what John's describing. Does that... Okay, now Daniel says that in the midst of the ten horns, he saw a little horn. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. Okay, so this little horn that appears represents the Antichrist. It grows in power and eventually takes over the coalition. As we know in heaven, Satan is not one that, that submits to anybody, is not one to come into agreement. He starts off with very little power, but he grows and his intention is to take over. The three kings are uprooted. It says there in verse 8, plucked out. And the other kings give their power over to the little horn, the Antichrist. That indicates some sort of coup or a takeover or a military uprising. The little horn is mentioned four times in Daniel 7. So this leader begins with the least authority and he grows immensely powerful. And it tells us that in Daniel 8. Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east and towards the glorious land. That mean in Israel. Okay, so the Antichrist mouth speech is emphasised four times in Daniel 7. So he's a great speaker. He deceives many with his powerful messages and speeches. But it's a mouth that has got very powerful messages, but is also using to blaspheme God. It tells us that in Revelation 13 that we've just read, he was giving a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle. Now the seven heads represents seven hills and seven kings. It tells us that in Revelation 17. But we're going to look into that a bit more next week. Okay, now one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. So this fatal wound... It tells us in verse 14 that this is a sword-inflicted wound, but is then miraculously healed. So this is the resurrection of someone or something being brought back to life. Satan could go to the extent of performing a counterfeit death and resurrection similar to Jesus. So this receives global media coverage because it tells us the, the world is so amazed to follow him. The fatal wound is mentioned twice. It could be a physical wound. The Antichrist will perform many counterfeit miracles, but this is the one that's going to deceive many people into following. It tells us that the world is astonished. Who is like the beast? Who can make war against the beast? Okay, so we're going to have a look then at the second beast. And I'm just going to read Revelation 13 11 to 18. So the first beast was the beast out of the sea. This one's the beast out of the earth. Okay. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. 
he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it would speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is treble six. Okay, so this second beast. So if just get a hold of the vision here. Satan's standing at the seashore. There's this beast that emerges up out of the sea. That's the first beast. And then there's the second beast. Now, it tell, this second beast, it tells us that it has two horns like a lamb. Okay, so although the Bible mentions many false prophets, it refers to one in particular in this chapter. The second beast, which emerges from the earth. Now, he works alongside the Antichrist, the first beast. The false prophet and the Antichrist are part of a counterfeit unholy trinity under the control of Satan himself. In Revelation 13 and verse 11 to 12, it tells us, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast and in its presence makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So the, the false prophet is given the same authority as the Antichrist. We read that in Revelation 16 as well and 19 and 20. So Satan's using both these beasts as instruments, as puppets, to accomplish his end-time mission. It tells us the second beast, the false prophet, appears like a lamb but has a mouth like a dragon. Jesus' revelation is portrayed as the lamb. The, dra the dragon is identified with Satan. This implies that the false prophet will also be a great speaker, the lamb, but with a mouth like a dragon. His wickedness will more than likely be hidden behind good works and the message of peace. Now, it tells in verse 13 to 14, And he performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, is that all making, is that all making sense? Okay, so in verse 13 it tells us he will deceive many with counterfeit signs and wonders. He'll call down fire from heaven just like Elijah. Whether he'll actually do it or whether he'll be some sort of illusionist. Okay. He will promote and point the way to the Antichrist by presenting himself as an Elijah-type prophet. But Revelation tells us along with the Antichrist, their deception is so great, many worldwide are deceived. 
So the false prophet and the Antichrist do appear as actual men because it tells in Revelation 19 that they're both cast alive into the lake of fire. And it also tells us in verse 11, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Okay, so we have John's vision, we had Daniel's vision, but we also have another vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. He had a dream, which Daniel interpreted. Okay, so in Daniel 2 to 4, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue. Now, this was similar to Daniel's vision of the four beasts. Daniel interpreted the dream. This also represented four kingdoms. The fourth kingdom has feet of iron and clay and ten toes. Now, it tells us the head was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now, some of you, if you've got notes, there's a, a sheet attached at the back with a picture of that statue. I think it's also up on coming up on your screen in just a second. Okay, so the four beasts was Daniel's dream. Nebuch sorry, Daniel's vision. The statue was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay, they both represent four kingdoms. The common factor in all of these visions, John's, Daniel's and Nebuchadnezzar, is that all, the, all three visions have the number 10. 10 heads, 10 horns and 10 toes. So the 10 horns on the first beast corresponds to the 10 toes on the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now the 10 toes, iron and clay don't mix. This indicates a divided kingdom. The strong nations, which is iron, and these weak nations represented with clay. Although there were three different scenes, all three point towards a ten-nation coalition of kings, presidents or leaders. Now, in Daniel 2, it says, Just as you saw the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even if you saw iron mixed with clay. Further into Daniel, it tells us that a stone strikes the statue. Okay? It strikes the feet of the statue and it brings about the destruction of the statue. I'll just read that bit in Daniel. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by humans, human hands. It struck, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became light shaft on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So the stone represents Jesus, it represents Christ. It tells us there in verse 34, that this stone is not cut by human hands, which means it's divine. A cornerstone is the largest, most solid, solid part of a foundation. Jesus is referred to in various scriptures as the cornerstone. The stone striking the feet represents the Antichrist kingdom, the fourth kingdom, last kingdom, being demolished and destroyed. It is replaced with Christ's kingdom when he returns, because it says they are huge-minded and filled the whole earth. 
Ephesians, it tells us, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Okay, to understand the time we're in now, we just need to take a brief look at past events so that we can understand a bit more of the future. Okay, so on the 9th of May 1950, six European nations joined in Rome to form a revived Roman Empire. It was called the Treaty of Rome. Okay, those nations were France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Luxembourg and Belgium. Four other nations joined in 1973, Britain, Ireland and Denmark. And Greece joined in 1981, making it a ten-nation coalition, today known as the EU. As with iron and clay, these nations don't mix. I think we can all agree that there's nothing united about the European Union. It's divided and it's disunited. However, it continued to grow from 10 nations to 28. Okay, now the two legs on the statue that we saw represent the Roman Empire, which was believed to be divided into two kingdoms, two divisions, an eastern and a western. Okay, so the 10 toes that stem from the two legs indicate an extension of the fourth and final kingdom. Many believe this was Bible prophecy being fulfilled, a resurrected Roman Empire with ten nations. The Bible's more focused on ten major nations, which could be the original ten. Um, as we know, we've, we've now pulled out. So the empire of the Antichrist could stem from the original EU or a newly formed United States of Europe. You know, I, I'm just going to add a wee bit in here. I'd only just finished putting that in this evening and up popped on my computer a news headline from a German, a German newspaper that the German Chancellor is now pushing for a united super state, a European state, a United States of Europe. So that is happening. I've put the news clip in there for you to have a look at. So you're going to hear that term, a European super state, United States of Europe. That's already in the process, okay? Europe plays an, imp an important part in Bible prophecy. A one-world system detailed in Revelation 13 has already men been mentioned on several occasions by Pope Francis and UN leaders. Although we don't know exactly how this is all going to come about, we can see the evidence there and we can see the pref preparations in place for it. So Rome is situated on seven hills. It tells us in Revelation 17 that we're going to study in more detail next week that the seven heads are seven hills. A European superstate could be the foundation laid for a one-world dictator to emerge, the Antichrist. I'm just looking back at history here. Hitler's mission was to conquer and unite Europe and he nearly, nearly succeeded. So it's possible a global leader, the Antichrist, could emerge from the region of the historic Roman Empire. Now, there's a picture of the EU Parliament building in Strasbourg, France. It's a replica of the unfinished structure of the Tower Babel in Genesis 11. Now, I'm just only skipping over some history here. If anybody wants any more details, I've put a DVD there. It's called The Rape of Europe, David Hathaway, and he really does go into the history of Europe. goes into a lot more detail. And bear in mind, he made that DVD in 2007. It's worth listening to. You can actually go onto YouTube and just put David Hathaway, Rape of Europe, in and you can listen to it. I think it's about an hour long. It's very in-depth. It's worth it. It gives a lot of history of the European Union.
And the, the, Europe, the EU, when this building, when this was being built, they used that replica. It wasn't by chance. They knew what, what they were doing. Okay, so that's our two beasts, the Antichrist and the False Prophet. Okay, right, I'm going to move on to part three and I'm going to read Revelation 13, verse 15 to 17. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and call, cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Okay, so the image of the beast will be so the Antichrist can be worshipped globally. The mark of the beast will be required in order to trade in the global trading system. The false prophet, the second beast, enforces worship of the first beast. It tells us there, we've just, just read that. So he'll be administrator of his global system so that Satan can be worshipped globally. He'll probably function as an overseer of the Antichrist's empire. False prophet will have great political power and influence as well as global authority, it tells us there. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, to receive a mark so they could not buy or sell. And the mark being on the right hand or the forehead, verse 16. So he has authority to enforce severe penalties on those who refuse the mark, including the death penalty. It tells us that in verse 15. All who, were, all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. So the Antichrist will issue a mandate for everyone to receive the mark. The mark will be the seal that identifies those who have made a covenant or sworn allegiance with the Antichrist. Those who refuse it will be threatened, hunted, classed as outlaws and possibly killed. Without the mark, you will not be able to buy or sell in the world's trading system. It tells us that in verse 17. So there's a risk of being cut off from the rest of society. Many will take the mark through fear or means of a survival for food, water, medicine and essentials. Others will wear it with pride and honour. It will probably come with promises of great benefits, open doors of opportunity. Now it tells us in verse 18, the last verse of Revelation, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has sight insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man that number is treble six so scripture tells us it requires wisdom and insight i'm giving you insight i hope i'm giving you insight so the mark will be on the right hand or the forehead and the identifying number is treble six revelation tells us that multitudes worship a breathing and speaking image which is possible with technology so this could be a digital, demonic or a holographic image that represents the, resembles the Antichrist himself. But this is a false appearance of life. It tells us the image is described as lifelike. So it could be an android or a cyborg. AI, artificial intelligence communication, is now popular in homes. Many of us have Alexa or Google Assistant. But with continuous advancement in technology, there'll be many other possibilities. Okay, so let's have a look at the image. Whatever the image will be, the main focus is worship. 
If we had read Bible prophecy a few decades ago, it would have been difficult to imagine how a global trading and worship system could have been possible. I think we spoke about that last week at the end of the session. But with the advanced technology we have now in our generation, we can see how this is achievable. A global network in Jerusalem where the Antichrist will be based will allow people to worship his image globally. Monitoring and tracking on a global scale can only be achieved through technology. So either as individuals in homes or in worship centres could be used to transmit the image. Tracking surveillance and control, social, social media, online activity, it's all closely monitored. It can also be used against us. Most digital banking tracks all our spending, our switch, our contactless. There's technology in many workplaces now which is used for surveillance and the control of employees. One of my friends has just actually recently retired and in her workplace, even when her boss is abroad now, he has it all on his phone where he can sit there and watch everything that is going on in the workplace. Most electronic devices and phones can be tracked via satellite. CCTV surveillance operate in most cities across the UK. Just a note on that surveillance as well. Uh, actually, the same friend was telling me on the phone yesterday, looking after her son's dog for two weeks, and I'll call him Rover. Rover now has uh, a tracking device on his collar. So her son's in Europe at the moment, and you can see exactly where Rover is. If he's down at Port Seaton on the promenade, wherever he, he knows where the dog is. Let's, have, let's go on and have a look at the mark what the Bible says about the mark. Okay, it tells us the mark of the beast will be a permanent physical symbol placed on either the right hand or the forehead. Similar to a wedding ring representing a marriage covenant, the mark will be a symbol for those who have sworn an allegiance to the Antichrist. Throughout history, slaves were identified with a mark which was either tattooed or scorched onto the skin. And it tells us it makes no difference of a person's beliefs or status. Everyone will be under intense pressure to receive the mark. So the media and the government, I think I touched on this on the first week, the media and the government will not bring out the truth about the mark. I believe that this will be down to the church and those committed to biblical truth. We will need to be ready with the gospel, make people aware of Christ's return and warn against the Antichrist system and the consequences, the eternal consequences just a note here is in 2 Peter, it tells us that scoffers will come. I know when it comes to say, oh, over many years, people have said, oh, Christ will return. But Peter says in the last days, there'll be scoffers, mockers. And it says exactly in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. I don't know how many times I've heard now, oh, you have been saying that for years. So now we really are trying to proclaim Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. Oh, yeah, we've heard that. We've been hearing that for years. It says in the last days, scoffers and mockers will come. It also says that in the book of Jude as well. However, the time will soon be upon us that requires a definite stand, either as a follower of Christ or the Antichrist. When the mark is enforced, everyone will be required to make a decision that affects their soul for eternity. Anyone who receives the mark and worships the beast will be selling their soul and making a firm stand against God. The Bible tells us eventually 
The great suffering comes on those who receive the mark. The book of Revelation gives us strong warnings and detailed information on the consequences in the trumpets, the seals and the bowls, which are released during the tribulation period. And the final punishment is eternal torment in the lake of fire, along with the Antichrist, the false prophet and eventually Satan himself. I know it sounds fire and brimstone, but there's no neutral ground here. It's either for or against. That's what it will come down to. Okay, Revelation 14. Then a third angel followed them, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. However, so for God so loved the world that he sent his only one and only son that we should not perish. Hell wasn't a place for people, it was a place for Satan and his angels. That's down to the decision that we make. Okay, a time indication for when the mark of the beast is near is after the Antichrist is revealed, which is three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period. And this confirms Bible prophecy and the nearness of Christ's return. In Luke 21, it tells us, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I'm just going to have a look at some of the technology at the moment. Although the Bible does not give specific details on what the mark is, to be practical, we're now in a digital age. Masses of data can now be stored on one tiny microchip, the size of a grain of rice. An implant could be inserted on or under the skin, containing all your personal data, your name, address, date of birth, employment, financial, education, religion, your passport, your medical details, and your driving license. The reason I'm missing the chip because this is just one thing that is already in use at the moment. RFIDs, radio frequency identification implants, are already in cars, swipe cards, mobile phones, and most electronic devices. Household pets and livestock already have an implant for tracking and identification. A handheld device scans and re retrieves data from the chip connected to a main database which is used to verify its owner on location. A similar device could be used, digitally encoded with treble six, connected to a personal ID number. Okay, biometrics. Biometrics are already being used for identification. Fingerprint, retina scan, facial or, or voice recognition technology. A scanner verifies a person's identity. However, fingerprint and a retina scans are methods that guarantee a person's identity. Each one is unique. A person's fingerprint doesn't change. Voice and facial appearances can through age or illness. Now it tells us in Revelation 13 that the mark will be placed on the right hand or the forehead. Therefore, the location of the chip could be connected to the scan area. Those who use the fingerprint scan to confirm their identity could have a microchip, microchip implanted onto the hand. Those who use the retina scan, an implant placed on the forehead. This is already a widely used method. Most mobile phones and passports already come 
with biometrics. I'm just using examples of what we have at the moment and how it can be done. But the most important issue is not what the mark will be, but be able to recognise it and reject it when it comes. It will be promoted as the latest advancement in technology with emphasis on all the positive aspects, speed, efficiency, security, a breakthrough in crime prevention against identity fraud, tax evasion, human and drug trafficking, child abduction and prostitution, corruption, money laundering, selling or buying stolen goods. When the time comes, choosing between our faith and essentials in life will be difficult. Access to money and resources for food and provisions for family brings enormous pressure, as well as loved ones being put at risk for refusing the mark. I believe it will be a time, and Matthew tells us, people will betray each other, loved ones will be against each other. Those who choose to obey God and refuse the mark could stand out in society. Being under scrutiny, threatened, persecuted, imprisoned or martyred will challenge a person's faith as strict penalties will be imposed will be imposed on those who refuse the mark. This is going to be a challenging time for Christians. As we read in that last verse, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Some will be persecuted, others martyred. It tells us that in verse 15 of Revelation 13. Those without the mark will be classed as illegal citizens and outlaws. Employers and business associates will demand the mark. You will be unable to receive or process financial transactions in the world's trading system. So you're looking at no wel your welfare benefit payments, your rent or your mortgage could go unpaid. Utility companies could be forced to turn off supplies, unable to access filling stations, no access to vehicle or public transport, unable to use a passport, mobile phone or electronic devices. No access to healthcare or emergency services. These are just some of the things that, just some of the things. The mark could be a visible system for friends, family employers and checkout operators, law enforcement agents and government officials to see. This will be easier to identify those who have the mark and those who don't. Okay, cashless society. We're almost there. We are almost a cashless society. Using cash will soon be history. And the systems are already in place for this. Cash cannot be easily traced or monitored. The majority of our banking is already done electronically. It's replaced most cash transactions. Most employers already pay employees electronically. To trade in the future global system, authentication through the mark will be required before transactions can be processed. If cash no longer, no longer exists, even transactions to and from another person would need approval. So no more car boot or garage sales without verification and authentication. Okay, we mentioned Nebuchadnezzar's dream a wee while ago. I'm going to touch on a decree was issued by King Nebuchadnezzar for everyone to worship an image of gold. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into a furnace for refusing to worship the image, just as the Antichrist will demand to worship, will demand worship through an image. However, God was with them in the fire and strengthened them even in the face of adversity, just as he will his people in these last days. Okay, Daniel tells us that nations and peoples of every language that it was commanded, what you were commanded to do, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. That's just reading where it is in Daniel. However, and I think we've touched on this before, but I think at this point, 
We need another reminder. As Christians, we are not dependent on this world system for our income and our provisions. God's promise to su supply our need stands firm to the end and he is faithful to his promises. But the difficult times ahead will require courage and faith. I also believe we will see God's supernatural provision during this time. Even the cattle on a thousand hills are his. The righteous will live by faith. We're not dependent on this world system. So I'll just quickly read Revelation 14. Then I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing the harps and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Okay, three angels. Then I saw another angel flying in, in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed him and said, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image and for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Again, there's that verse. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. The harvest of the earth. I looked and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, 
Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. It is a lot of blood, isn't it? <laughs> the 144,000 we covered last week. This is where we see them appearing again alongside Jesus on his return, accompanied by harpists, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Okay, the group of worshippers. Right, the three angels. The first angel is flying in midair. The gospel's being proclaimed along with warnings again, more warnings of further judgments to come. The second angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. That's the system responsible for leading the world astray, which we'll look further into next week. The third angel, in a loud voice, is proclaiming, worship God, fear God. So there's strong and clear warnings against worshipping the beast in his image. There's a call here for people to repent and turn to God. And again, as I mentioned, that verse, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. But there's emphasis here on what the saints are. The, the obedient and faithful. Okay, the harvest of the earth, one like the Son of Man on a cloud, is pictured with a golden crown and a sickle in his hand. A sickle is a tool for harvesting. It's a curved, sharp blade for cutting down stalks of grain. Jesus, on re his return here, is portrayed as the reaper, is reaping the harvest in. This is another scene involving many angels. We'll go on further next week to where they show Jesus as the conqueror on the, the white horse, but here is, is portrayed as the, re the reaper, now, the wine press. In those days, grapes were gathered and put into a wine press. The wicked are compared to being thrown into a wine press. Grapes were crushed until the juice ran out, collected and put into wine vats. The red stain of juice, staining of the feet and garments portrays a picture of the severity of the judgment. That is also used in Genesis 49 and Isaiah 63. The image of the grapes trampled in a wine press is used again in Revelation 19, which we'll look at next week. That is heavy stuff. Before, I don't finish on a solemn note, going back, I think it was 2009, I remember, I think it was under Mark Nicholas at the time, under, under his church in the Goldbridge Parish, and I can remember, I had a time then, I think it was about a week of prayer and fasting. And I can remember giving this to to Mark. And eventually on the back of that, he set up a food, food bank and a caps and a financial team. Um, I believe it was a word, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you anyway. And you can discern, okay, the economy. Take heed you're not deceived, for it is in this hour, my children, that I call on you to seek me for the truth. Do not be misled by the media, the media reports and the system of this world which has been manipulated by Satan himself. Do not be alarmed or disheartened by the events and crisis of the present day, for surely my promise to supply all your needs stands, stands firm. And it tells us that in Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. For I watch as the enemy's schemes are being implemented into the world's trading system, while many of my people are unaware of his plans for the days ahead. 
It is now that I call on my people to understand my word and the time and season that is upon my church and to be prepared for my return. For behold, I am coming soon. In Hosea, it tells us my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. For it is in the darkest days that my people will shine brighter and darker days there are to come, days as never before. But as I prepared my servant Joseph ahead of the famine, I have for these days raised a generation to prepare and minister to my people for the days ahead. And just as I delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and transferred the wealth of their oppressors onto them, I shall deliver my people out of the trading system of, of this world with more than enough. Hold fast to my name even in the face of adversity. For many in these last days will fall away and deny me for the sake of peace. And many will leave the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Do not be deceived. To deny me is to deny the Father also. And any spirit that denies me, such spirit is a spirit of the Antichrist. In John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. For surely I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it's in these last days that my church will rise in the apostolic anointing as my first church. And it shall march out in the power and authority of my spirit. And it will shake the very foundations of hell. For my church will accomplish everything according to my plan. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, Visit us online at haddingstonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.